Welcome to episode nine of the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for Olympiakos FC and the Greek Super League. My name is Peter Thompson. I'm here with Lambros Sirmos, Adi Burubasis, and our special guest for the day, Konstantin Levoyanis. Konstantin, thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing? Great. We just, uh, we finally won the double. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's a real pleasure. Congrats for the initiative. You're bringing together Olympiagos fans from, from all over the world. This was um, something that was missing. So really glad to be here with you guys to, to chat Olympiagos. Yeah, and we're, we're incredibly happy to have you. And of course, with all the good work you've been doing on Twitter with Olympiagos EU. Uh, folks, if you aren't following that account on Twitter, it is at Olympiagos EU. I think it's Olympiagos with a C. So go ahead and give that a follow. Um, a lot of good stuff coming out of there. And yeah, that is that is just our goal, to connect Olympiacos fans from around the world, especially those who are speaking English. And uh, we appreciate the support. Additionally, we do have some other special guests coming up that we want to remind people about. During next week's midweek series, which will be on September 16th, we will have George Tsitsonis, who is the author of the book Achieving the Impossible, The Remarkable Story of Greece's Euro 2004 Victory. So we're really excited to hear about that. Obviously, a really interesting book and a really interesting story in general. So if you folks have any questions for George, we can ask them on the episode next week and just DM us on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. And we'll be happy to have those ready for next week's episode. After that, on Sunday, September 20th, so a week after this one, We'll be having Bob Beans from Olympiakos English on the pod. He is tweeting at BobBeans83 and at Olympiakos underscore ENG. And that's Olympiakos with a K. So we will be discussing the upcoming Champions League playoffs. At that point, we will know whether Olympiakos will be playing Omonia from Cyprus or Red Star from Serbia. The week after that, so that'll be September 27th, we'll be having Christian Legas from Hellas Football on to talk about Champions League, around the league, and potentially match day three of the Super League. If that one is anything like our episode with other Hellas football writer Stephen Koduru, it's going to be a great one, and we're really looking forward to it. Additionally, we would like to say thank you to our sponsor, Piraeus International. If you need to ship household items, cars, or appliances to Greece, please contact our friends at 410-675-4696 or email them at sales at piraeusintl.com. And that's spelled Piraeus like the port in Greece. They can also import things from Greece to other countries like olive oil, marble, or anything that reminds you of Greece that you love to have in your current country. They're based in Baltimore, Maryland, and coordinate shipping from all over the country. And a fun fact about them is that they currently handle inbound and outbound shipping for the Greek embassy in the United States. So you're dealing with really good people over there. And with that, why don't we get into some transfer news? Lambro, I believe you have some new stuff coming up in the last few days for us. Yes, lots of transfer news, as well as just some general things happening around the league. A name we've been hearing a lot about is Levi Garcia. Currently, there is a bidding war going on, according to Greek press. Ike Athens have made an offer of $2.5 million plus a 40% sell-on fee to his club in Israel. However, new reports are saying that we have come in and made an even better offer. An interesting development. It seems as if the Gary Rodriguez transfer saga 
is going to end in a negative and Gary will not be coming. Who knows? That could develop as much as I personally don't want to see that happen. <laughs> Moving on, uh, one of our youngsters actually was in a car accident. Uh, a player that we talked about, uh, I think, first name Apostolis Martinez. He was in a car crash. It sounds like the car was completely totaled. Sounds like he was okay, which is good to hear. Something scary, definitely. We've heard a lot of deaths of car from car accidents in Greece. On to a more positive note, Jan Envia, who we have talked about quite a bit, arrived on Friday the 11th of September, and he's set to sign after today's Cup game. It sounds like he'll be announced tomorrow morning. That's exciting. We're also looking like we're going to be signing that left back after all. Reese, the Brazilian slash Portuguese left back from Rio Ave, has been a difficult case. We are pursuing other options. We still are looking at pod, podcast favorite from St. Etienne, Miguel Trauco. But Reese looks like the main option right now. We're looking at that one. Another, another saga which has been going through almost all summer and which has heated up recently is the Ruben Semedo saga. We've talked about how the club is demanding around 13 million euros from Benfica to let Semedo go. But it sounds like Benfica are willing to wheel and deal for this transfer. They, well, what the press is saying is that we may be willing to agree to let Semedo go if Benfica offers us a few players in, in part of that deal. There's a player, a young fullback named Tavares. He's 19 years old. Looks like he could come over to Greece with a loan and an option to buy. The press is reporting that Benfica want 10 million for that. We're looking more at 5 million. Supposedly, he's a fantastic youngster. We'll see where that goes. And just a quick reminder to everyone, yes, it's almost mid-September, but the transfer window still is open for almost another three weeks. We have October 5th. These deals are bound to happen in and out. Some results from around the league. Finally, the first game kicked off. The first few games kicked off on Friday. We had Aris versus La Mia. La Mia took the lead early, 1-0 with a penalty. Aris came straight back into it, however, and won three. Came back with three goals, I should say, and won 3-1. They did very well. And with that, there was a later game which happened. Pauk versus Larissa. Uh, they played in a formation 3-4-3. Really interesting. Diego Bisesvar, the winger slash central attacking midfielder, I would say, uh, was playing at right back. An interesting position for him. He actually assisted the only goal of the game for Tsolis, who we've talked a lot about on this podcast, especially for the Greek national team. He had a fantastic volley he shot in. Pauk were quite dominant in the first half, despite a slow start, especially after the goal. Larissa came out of the gate strong, but winded out, winded out running out of energy at the end, it seemed. And one funny note from this game, we talked about how poor Chuba Akpom's finishing. If you guys want to see a really funny video, you can co go and see Chuba Akpom essentially miss an open net. It's up there for contender of worst misses of the season from match week one. You can't miss those in Champions League. Otherwise, he's going to miss them in Champions League. <laughs> he's going to miss them. <laughs> so anyway, finally, uh, Ofi getting ready for their Europa League game, I think against the Cypriot team, if I remember correctly, drew with Panto Panatolikos, which that game was 1-1. I believe Panatolikos took the lead 1-0, and then Ofi brought it back 1-1. 
with that, that's roughly the news we got from around the league. Just to touch back on real quick with the left-back deal, when we made our offer for Trauco with Etienne, they actually had until October 3rd. We gave them until really early October to consider our deal. So there is a possibility that could happen, but it's very low. It's very low. Who knows if that's even true. I think he's the last resort, even if we would love to have him come in after our whole Absolutely. interview with Luis. Well, and I think... At this point, if you watch today's game, we could probably just go with Cissé at left back. Who says no? I mean, talk <laughs> about those last 10 minutes, him him running down the flanks. But, yeah, I mean, obviously today was a, a very interesting day. Of course, we're recording this directly after the end of the Quibeo. And um, the game finished 1-0 with Lazar Andrelovic scoring the goal pretty early on. And after that, there were some chances... There was a missed penalty on the behalf of El Arabi. And unfortunately, we didn't get to score another goal, but it was enough to, to get out of there with the win. And we've won the double. But in my opinion, a pretty weird game. And obviously, with all the ramifications of not having starting fullbacks and Ike also missing uh, a couple of players that they had brought in, it's a very weird one. Uh, it was a very nerve-wracking game at the end as well. But... Interesting one, nonetheless. Adi, I wonder, what are your thoughts about this game? I have a lot of mixed feelings about this game. I wasn't altogether happy because there were, I thought there were a lot of holes in our game. Yeah. Uh, I was definitely, now obviously this isn't going to be permanent, but our fullbacks, I was, they scared me. You know, Dorosidis was getting beaten like a drum on the left <laughs> side. Uh, I mean, there were, he, he did hold his ground a couple of times, but I mean, watching, watching Levaya and Madalos, you know, make mincemeat of the fullbacks was really sad to watch, especially given what we saw from Madalos in the national team game. He did have a much better game this time, but mm. it didn't make me feel good to see that. I will give much more leniency, obviously, to Bruno. That's not his natural position. Dorosidis has played on the left back before. I know he's older. He, his pace is just not what it used to be. He's yeah. not the same player. He's past his prime. He did a, an okay job over there, but, I mean, we were getting burned down the flanks. It was nonstop. As the metrics populate, I'm sure that'll confirm kind of my feelings, but uh, it, it, was, it wasn't good down there. The midfield, I thought, was okay. Bukalakis... In the beginning, I didn't think he was doing enough. But then as, as we kind of watched him, he was, he was doing his job. A lot of pressures. Actually, it turns out he led the team in pressures. So, but we're so used to Guillerme on those pressures, winning, actually winning the ball and cleaning things up. That's not really something Bukhalakis does as well. And I, I do want to note that uh, this is sort of unrelated, but this is also – a final game for Toro Cidis, as far as we're concerned. We saw Chimikas congratulating him on social media after the game. Obviously a nice way for him to go out. But yeah, I mean, he's not a player that we expected to have in the team all year. So it definitely was a problem area. The, the Ike players were just exploiting that, that part of the pitch on both sides. Bruno, I think Bruno played hard. And I think for someone who's not a natural right back, he did okay. But yeah, I mean, he's just not a good enough defender to deal with those guys for 90 minutes. Yeah, I felt that we were texting during the game a little bit, and I, I, I pointed out that I thought, okay, Bruno as a non-right back was playing actually pretty well as a right back. He was having some good runs forward. And 
Torsi, they said, was so clear that he, he's been waiting like two months to retire, you know. Like yeah. he, he was really hoping to retire in July, you know. I, I, I wonder if he was even able to keep so fit, you know. Like, I couldn't imagine knowing that this was going to be your last game, finally getting to it in July. Okay, the EPO is incompetent. We're not doing it in July. We'll do it a few weeks later. And then Maxi Lovera tests positive for coronavirus. You got to delay the cup even longer. So it must have been difficult for him. I don't, I don't know how much we can criticize him. Uh, another performance that I, I would love to point out is uh, Tsurlaki's played a really great game for a 17-year-old. Yeah, I don't unreal. Know absolutely, absolutely unreal. Like, Ike had how many corners? 13, 14? I don't know how many exactly. but A lot more than us. Yeah, Tolakis weighs like 80 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> it, it, it was amazing to see this kid basically do so well with balls coming into the box. It was pretty impressive. And that first real time he was tested in the game had me nervous when he sort of bobbled the ball and it would have gone in the net if it weren't for Ba coming in just in time for that clearance. But after that, he was incredible and he wasn't afraid to come out and he was great. He got lucky at the beginning and yeah. he needs a bit of luck. I mean, mm. uh, I think that shot, it deflected and then it bounced in front of him and he tried to he tried to to take it in and it just bounced off and then cleared off the line by Bar. So the, that was the, the first bit of action that he saw during the game. Yeah. And then since that, I mean, you saw him come out for crosses and punch the ball really well. Yeah. Um, I mean, guys, a 17-year-old now playing in yep. a cup final. Okay, there's no fans, maybe a little less pressure, but it's still a cup final. It's the kind of game that can either make him a career at Olympiacos or kill his career at Olympiacos. If he made any kind of mistake today, it's the fans so hard. Would, yeah. Yeah. So hard in Greece. The pressure is unbelievable. And uh, I'm really happy for the lads, like 17 years old, We've heard so much about his potential. And uh, I think, you know, he's got a good shout at, at being at the club for a long time and, you know, hope it continues. He continues his development. Yeah, he was an absolute standout today and had me really excited for the future, obviously. Saw, I think, is, is working his way back. It seems reasonably positive that he might be back in a couple of weeks for the beginning of the Super League. But, you know, looking way off in the future... I'm looking at this kid Solakis and thinking this could be our one of uh, this could this could become a, a great goalkeeper for such a long time. He was just I think what stood out for me is as a 17-year-old goalkeeper he was incredibly confident to as you said to come out and punch those balls. Like it's oftentimes really hard without the experience to know when you can come out and when you can actually get to a ball versus when you need to sit back. But he really came out and just got to them and he was good enough with the ball at his feet as well. Yeah, aside from that little blunder at the beginning, incredible performance. He's 17. Now he's still going to grow a few inches as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's not forget. But I want to come back to something that, that Adu and you guys were saying earlier. Let's not forget, guys. It's um, I mean, it's not a completely makeshift team that was put out today. But we know that Martin's team likes to play very much down the wings and how important the wing backs are in our game. Mm -hmm. You could clearly see this entire game that it, the instruction was to Torosidis and Bruno stay back. 
Yep. I don't think I saw Bruno and Torosidis cross the halfway line, if at all, during the entire game. Um, I think Bruno did as good as as good as you would want somebody being called into play at a position they've never played before to play. Uh, so That's I mean, fair. to him, and Levias, Ike's most dangerous player. I think I think he did all right. Um, I mean, I I think we still need a. Of course, we definitely need another right back uh, to replace Rafinha to give him some some oxygen from time to time. But um, to link back to this whole discussion about transfers, I think we're good for the playoffs. Uh, we have Jolebas and Rafinha in training the last couple of weeks. We've got another week with a game on Friday, our first game in the league, and then the playoffs the week after. We've got Envia coming in, probably being announced tomorrow or latest on Monday, I would say. Um, even if I'm, I'm doubtful that Martins will start Envia in the playoff. I think he'll go for Bukhalakis and Camara. Mm -hmm. um, but honestly, I would rather we, we wait until the end of the window where you start to get better you get better players of becoming available and you negotiate completely differently as a club uh, if you've already qualified for the group stage and you're on a completely different level in terms of the negotiation and the bargaining power that you have. You can attract better players. I, I listen to the, these names being floated around like Levy Garcia. It's like, okay, if we're just going to buy him so that Ayak doesn't buy him and then we loan him to Aris the next day, I mean, we have Radzelovic on the wing, we have Valbuena, we have Brusai who's being kept in the team. Um, we, have, we have options uh, in, the, in the wings. I, I don't think we should rush. I think we should wait for better opportunities, including at left back, by the way. Mateus Reis, never heard of him before. He's got a good body, 185, tall guy, Brazilian, 25 years old, but really there's nothing better out there. And I think this year is especially interesting. You, you touched on it a little bit with the transfer window ending so late into the season. It gives a lot of teams the opportunity to evaluate what they have and if they need more. So I think there's going to be a ton of activity once teams have played a couple games. We might see maybe uh, teams in Portugal realize, oh, we don't really need this guy. So maybe they'll lower the price for him or something like that. And on top of the fact that obviously as October approaches and teams feel that sort of rush to get something done before the deadline, that will probably also bring prices down as well. Absolutely. And um, real quick, before we kind of go into who for us were the most important players were for this game, uh, I thought uh, Constantine had a very, very fair point uh, about Bruno. That's, I don't think with, with Dorosidis and Bruno, I think uh, it is definitely fair to say that we got what we could have reasonably expected out of them, uh, 100%. Um, I think that uh, I probably should have clarified that when I when I first spoke. But I think, you know, we we got reasonably what we could have hoped to get from them. You know, Torosidis is old. The guy wanted to retire, and we pretty much needed him to stay for that. Now, um, I think actually Bruno did cross mid, uh, midfield once when he made that full field sprint to overlap for Radeovich. <laughs> oh, yeah, and he, he did, yeah. Shot. <laughs> he just took the shot. I thought he should have been rewarded with the ball going down the wing. I felt horrible for them. Radeovich <laughs> was waiting for him. I think he turned <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and he was waiting for the overlap. <laughs> I know. Beautiful pass, and then, yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, in the end, we got we got what we needed. Uh, we got the results, so that that does matter. Now, um, for you guys, uh, who were your most important? I guess we'll start. Uh, Constantine, who was your MVP? Who was the most important player for you in this game? I think Radzelovic gets the MVP because he scores the goal, of course. So without the goal, we don't win. But for me, Kamara, I mean, it's so he sticks out like a sore thumb. Uh, on, on the fields, I, I really hope we can hang on to him a little bit longer. Um, I was looking transfer mark the other day. His market value has gone up to 12 million, uh, which is, which is, it's higher. Huh? Uh, and uh, I hear the club wants 20 million minimum, if not 25. I, I really hope we can hang on to him a little bit more, but I just think that he, he dominated the midfield. Um, f for me, he was the best player on the pitch. And, you know, I, I want to say Cissé had a good game as well. I'm always a little bit apprehensive with him. He has lapses in concentration. Yeah. But he turns up in the big games, I have to say. Um, even on, if you play football manager, he's one of those players that in his strengths he has enjoys the big matches <laughs> Lambro is a big football manager fan yeah no he's he really always around that. he turned up today and him and Barr they made some really important blocks um, and yeah the, the last thing I want to say El Arabi oh my god like he, he oh. needs to get he needs to come out of this goal drought um, he could have had a hat trick today um, I, I'm I'm a little bit worried for him, uh, given given the period we're in and the important games that are coming up. But he looks fit, um, as fit as you can expect without a preseason. Uh, he really needs to get a goal. Yeah, and I, I we could talk about El Arabi for a long time, and and I think what I saw from him is I agree that he looked fit and the first opportunity he had in the first half, he had a really nice dribble by the defenders and, and put it just wide of the keeper. So very close. And I, I was not super upset at that point with him for not scoring that because he did such a good job to get in that position. But obviously the second half, I think we just saw him miss chances again and again. And then obviously the penalty and, but on the topic of who my MVP would be, I think Cissé and Kamara were the first people that came to my mind with honorable mention to Lazar for scoring the goal and honorable mention, in my opinion, to Tsorakis for being called upon in such a big moment and most, for the most part, really living up to the job and doing and, uh, having a solid game. So that's what I would say. Yeah, I just... I... I, I, we were talking about it a little bit, but Madi Kamara is just a different class of player. And even the touches are getting better, guys. You know, I, I, I remember there was one moment where a ball came over the top over his head and he just stopped it on a dime perfectly. I don't think anything came of it, but you just sit there and you're, you're amazed by the quality. And on that goal, that ball he put in, he slid into, Lazar was perfectly weighted. And the Madi Kamara that we bought how many years ago? Almost two, three years ago now. I don't think he does that pass two years. Yeah, he. W I don't think he does that pass two years ago. And he has grown so much as a player. And it's just great to see him him becoming that. And finally, I'll just I'll say, yeah, um, El Arabi really, really starting to worry about the goals. 
at the 75th minute, it, I, I was I was calling for him to come out, even for Hassan, who channel members know. Hassan, we, we Hassan, we don't love. We don't love Hassan. He's he he's there, but you know we. we <laughs> We have you a bad relationship. Podcast. You can have a we, separate we, podcast on Hassan. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a whole episode. We'll, we'll title it The Egyptians Laton Love Hate Question Mark. Anyway, <laughs> he scores important goals. He holds the ball up, blah, blah, blah. He runs. We know. But El Arabi at that point was just, he couldn't even hold the ball up. And it was just disappointing, I would say. And that, that one chance he had to the end where he just completely fluffed a chip where I think he literally could have even slotted it in or just yeah, passed it passed. back to someone. He could have passed. passed. It was just so disappointing to see his reaction too. Just like, okay, yes, the pitch was probably quite poor, but just disappointing from him. Just disappointing is what I would say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Madi, we've talked about, even it's been a couple of podcasts now, we've talked about how his execution was really what was lacking. The vision was always there. And we saw that when we first brought him in. The vision was there. It was the execution that was the problem. The, he always had great ideas, and he was always a very positive player. But sometimes that final product was questionable. But, you know, the coming into the season, especially as the season progressed, we saw that improvement. And, I mean, he's just becoming more and more of a complete midfielder. I will agree. For me, Madi is my MVP. Uh, Lazar's also right there. The work rate from Lazar is just crazy now. I remember when we first got him, and we had those uh, Champions League playoff appearances and the qualification rounds, and we had some great counters from him, but then he didn't – he kind of got lost in the games during the season – he wasn't really there, and we were wondering if we got one of these one-and-done players. We saw some great things from him, but nothing came of it. Towards the end of the season, so much improvement, especially post-corona. And now, I mean, a much more complete game from him today, uh, especially with his work rate. I, I still think he has massive margin for improvement. I, I agree with you. Like He has this tendency to kind of fade or get lost in the game. And I think there were... There were, there were moments again today where, I mean, he scored the goal. And then I struggle to think, actually, what he did during the game. Uh, okay, he, every time he gets the ball down the right-hand side, uh, he's, he terrorizes the, the other wing-back because he's got great pace and he can, he can, he can kick the ball. Like he can hit it really hard. Um, so, yeah, no, Lazar has great room for improvement. I remember watching him last year during the friendlies, the first time I think he, he came in and he had, um, he had played in the Under-21 World Championship or the Euro Cup, the Under-21s. He comes on and I remember he played in a cross with the outside of his boot from the left-hand side for a Fortuny's goal, and I just like yeah. I, I turned around to my dad and I was like, "This kid is good," and 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 you remember what ensued? The two goals he scored against Krasnodar. Yep, yep, unbelievable. So I think um, he's a gem. Like we we've got to keep working with that kid. Yeah, and building off of that, a player I was disappointed with who we haven't mentioned is uh, Yorgos Mazuras on the other wing. He had that one chance to slot away a goal, yep. and he just he took it very poorly. And as exciting as Lazar was, Masuras was extremely disappointing. And 
that's something that concerned me a little bit. You, I guess we know what type of player we're getting with Masuras. He likes to run. He likes, but I, I'm struggling to see his future in the team if Rangelovic can establish himself. I, I wonder if Rangelovic does what he does, but does it better almost? And if we need another winger to to attach next to Rangelovic instead of and dropping Masuras, I don't know your guys' opinions on that. Well. Radejevic never used to track back. In the early games, we didn't see him cover. The, the, his distance covered was one of the least on the team. And it's funny enough, I'm getting flashbacks almost with Fetfatsidis, uh, sort of with Radejevic. I think Radejevic is improving better because Fetfatsidis used to dis- disappear for entire games at a time. We would have one game where he looked like he was the next Messi, literally. They called him the Greek Messi. And then you would have a game where he would play 90 minutes and I don't think he touched the ball three or four times because he didn't do anything. Masuras has work rate. He tracks back a lot, and that's why Martins values him. Uh, Masuras is always in the top of our team when it comes to distance covered. He does track back. That's why he likes Martins likes him. Problem is, going forward seems to be the issue. We're getting the pre-corona Masuras that can't finish or can't put a shot on target, uh, you know, when it looked like finally he was getting there. And he's never been – he really has never been the most um, – I don't want to say, not, you know, productive because he is productive with his, with his work rate. It's more of his positivity when the ball's at his feet. You know, he's not, he's not Podenza. He's not Lazar in that respect. And I think when – if a young guy like Chumich, you know, that we have some very high hopes for, kind of comes in and start making things work. We bring in Levi Garcia and they're much more positive and actually have a decent work rate coming back. I think Masuda sees the bench if one of those guys turns out. And it's interesting. And I don't know if this is something that would happen because maybe it's not as much of an issue, but we had talked about, you know, off camera in last season's Champions League when Omar, you could just tell, was being run into the ground with how many matches he'd played and, and, Occasionally wasn't looking very good, especially I remember the first leg against Arsenal. He was he was not very good. And we were discussing the possibility of using Masuras as a right back or even a right wing back, maybe in a more forward role. And I think, you know, obviously we have Rafinha and other players who could potentially fill in and transfers are not done. But I almost wonder if that would be a way to fit him in if, say, Chumich or Garcia becomes a bigger player and Lazar becomes a bigger player and those two become kind of the staple on the wings. I don't think he would, I don't think he'd like that very much. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. No, I mean, to be a bit more pragmatic, obviously Masuras has incredible work rate and the coach loves him for that. He's tactically fairly astute He'll, he'll hold his position. He'll track back all the things that, that Addy said. I think uh, another real plus that he has is his off-the-ball running and his awareness to yep. get into the box when the ball's on the other side. Yep. He'll get into the box and he'll play like a striker. He'll get in there on the far post. Um, he'll, link with the, um, he'll link with the striker. Uh, don't, I, I remember also this... Um, was it against Arsenal? There was this action down the left where, you know, he had some really great actions with Timikas, really good interplay. Mm-hmm. When I mentioned the wingers earlier, I don't think I mentioned him though. You know, he's one of those players. He's like, you know what you're going to get from Masuras. Yep. You know, you're going to get somebody that holds their position, that works their ass off the entire game. 
and he might even chip in with a goal. Um, but he won't be that kind of winger that will take the ball into feet, run at the defender. Uh, but but he's um, he, he he is he will get some goals. He's a good squad player. Yeah, and just something to think about. I wonder how much Masuras needs that solid fullback next to him, that Chimikas or whoever we may bring in, because Torosidis we mentioned didn't go forward very much. I wonder if Masuras, in in order to excel as a player to really show his best face, needs a, a fullback next to him who he can work off of. Just just an idea, but I, I agree with all of you guys on, on those topics. He, I think he definitely does. He definitely needs a guy like Tsimikas. Look, look at how when he was kind of off on his own without the overlapping runs to help pull the defenders away, even with the national team, he didn't play that much, obviously, but we saw that. Yanulis isn't the same as Tsimikas, and Dorosidi surely isn't the same as Tsimikas. The value in Masuras is in the his ability off the ball. And just to kind of highlight that, I have some defensive metrics for him. I mean, in terms of what he does in defensive duels, like, you know, when he goes after the ball, uh, trying to dispossess other players, he has the highest in any of our non-midfielders, central midfielders, and um, offensive guys. The best win rate. I mean, he's pretty successful with, with duels. Now, in the air, he's not superb. Um, you know, but that's, that's okay. And he wins a lot of loose balls. Uh, he also leads the, the team, uh, except for the defense and interceptions. Uh, or sorry, I should say non-defensive midfielders and non-defenders as well. Leads in interceptions. So he does win the ball back. He does help, especially win balls in our half. So that's what's being valued. It's this defensive capability. Now, the offensive metrics are really what everybody hates about him because that's what's really poor. Uh, he's not very good on the dribble. He, even when he's trying to get out of pressure, he's not super successful at it. He was more successful post-COVID, but... You know, there's a lot of, if I look at all the games post-COVID, he has about a 32% uh, success rate when he dribbles. So, and he tries to do it only a handful of times a game. So usually he doesn't beat anybody on the dribble per game. And then his crosses are not accurate. He actually has only had one cross that met somebody's head in the last eight games. Uh, offensively, he's awful. Uh, well, I don't want to say awful. Offensively, he's not where we'd like to see him, but defensively, he's stellar. And another, I don't want to stick us on controversial players. Another player who we have been debating about what his future is, is Kafu. I thought Kafu came on and provided some great energy today. I don't know what you guys thought of him, but I, after his poor showing against Atromithos in the friendly, I thought he provided some decent energy and did the job in midfield. Personally, he won a few balls. I, I thought he played pretty well today. Yeah, and of course, he also had that goal that was disallowed due to offside. But I think I agree that he was good. I think it was – I was actually a little surprised to see him come on, I think, for Valbuena. Obviously, we were looking to defend and, and maintain the 1-0 lead. But I kind of expected to see Fortunis or someone come on earlier in the game. And, and they went with Cafu, I believe, as the first substitution. So it shows – Obviously, Martins feels comfortable with him in those positions. And yeah, we talked in, uh, I believe it was with Steven, about how we don't really know what his role is going to be yet. So it's interesting to see him come in and actually play a little bit more forward than we'd seen him do last season, I think. Well, Cafu is, 
he's a poor man's Guillerme with respect to what we've seen because yeah. he's pretty he's pretty good. I mean, he's a physical. He's a pretty big guy, and he intercepts the ball. You know, every time he plays, he he's getting he's averaging on you know every game he plays doesn't matter the minutes. Oddly enough, he's averaging almost four interceptions a game, which is pretty high. Even even when you're taking yeah. other defensive midfielders across Europe, I compared these metrics to other top DMs across across Europe, and that's up there with them you know that's so that's decent now obviously with context you have to remember we're usually dominating possession in games so he doesn't get as many opportunities to win the ball back because we're usually the ones on the ball in europe it's a different story we have no data with him with respect to what european play is like now here's the thing he mm -hmm. doesn't do that guillerme does now uh he doesn't it does, I, well, Guillerme is much more comfortable on the ball. I think he had way better ball skills than Cafu did. But Guillerme changed the field for us. We've said this so many times in the podcast. Guillerme would get the ball, switch the field, get, get us moving things, keep the opposing defense on their toes and moving around. Cafu doesn't do that. When he wins the ball back, he usually likes to dish whoever, to whoever's close to him. Just to give you an idea, I mean, the most recent uh, friendly with Atromidos, Cafu passed the ball 60 times. How many of those balls do you think went beyond 15 meters? If anybody wants to give a guess. Beyond 15 meters. I'll, I'll say 18. Five. Five? Well, uh, I, Gosta, you were the closest. Four. Oh, my days. <laughs> so he doesn't, he doesn't, it's not something that he does. Uh, even though he was actually pretty successful with them, I mean, he, he completed three of four, and they were like kind of cross-field balls, but he doesn't like to do it. Guillerme did it a lot, and we were so used to that. So when we see a guy like Cafu who doesn't do that, all of a sudden, you know, because Guillerme had the bar so high, we look at Cafu and we start to think he's not up to par. I, I shed a tear when we mention Cafu and Guillerme in the same sentence. <laughs> it's... Okay, I don't, I don't mean to be nasty, but I think against Adromitos, he was trying to play that kind of more holding defensive midfielder role number six, mm -hmm. whereas I think he's more of an eight. I think he, he plays a little bit better further up the park. I remember he scored a nice goal against Panathinaikos. Yeah. He was in that 3-0 win in the playoffs outside the box. Uh, nice shot into the bottom Rabona, corner. I think. Uh, it, it was a nice goal. Yeah. Um, now, do I think he's going to be a key player this year? Uh, no, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, and if if Kamara uh, if ends up staying, I think he's gonna he's gonna have trouble getting on the bench. Even yeah, I think Jan Mvia is the Guillerme replacement. I don't think Kafu <laughs> Kafu is going to be the Guillerme replacement long term. The thing for me with Kafu and what keeps me from considering him to be more in that eight role is that, and again, this is more of my, my opinion on what an eight, a modern day eight is. I need to see more vision and playmaking ability from an eight. Like from Madi, that's what we see from Madi. Not only is Madi that box-to-box -box guy, but I mean, he's, he's a little bit of everything. I mean, these days, you know, you look at Madi and he's, Almost, he's becoming a complete midfielder in that respect. Kafu, I see the defensive aspects. Now, again, we haven't really seen much of him further up the pitch. So 
he could he could be you know if he's allowed to get forward more perhaps he might be more effective i there's nothing at least data wise that we've seen from him and then before he came to us that would indicate that he has that ability or has that vision or has that ability to get downfield more to be that creator for us i mean i i don't want to say he's an average player i just i think that there's better talent available to us I think in the in the long run, I think he's more of a stopgap, something to fill the role uh, as that maybe that holding guy, you know. And we're looking for something more. Yeah, and I think his good performance today may have been that Ike players have barely had a preseason. It was a tough game. He came on late, and we know Kafu. If we know anything, he's quite a physical player. He has running in him, and that may have just helped him out. I remember near the end of the game, some Ike players were playing some terrible passes, just and and it seemed almost easy for someone with legs in it to to go and make some uh, interceptions. So maybe that was it. I I don't know. I I enjoyed his performance today, though. I was, I was decently surprised by how he did. Well, you don't have to. You don't have to be a playmaker to have a good game. I mean, if as long as he does what he's supposed to do defensively, if he's winning the ball. That's that should be sufficient for us. The problem is we are used to Guillerme. We are used to having a, a what turned out to be a great DM for us that could do a little bit of everything. Was so good at the ball at his feet. That is not always the case. In fact, I should say that's not normally the case with a guy that is usually your six. Uh, we got lucky. We got lucky with that. Now Jan and Via, I think, is going to be more like that especially defensively he has better d defensive metrics than Guillerme does in what I would consider uh well contextually San Etienne I don't think is dominating people they're not dominating other teams in possession so obviously he's going to be more on the defensive end but I think speaking to what he did in games and seeing the the data we saw with respect to Guillerme he's a lot more close to that and defensively probably a little bit better now downfield is he as capable with the ball maybe maybe not but he is at least seems capable of switching the ball and that he kind of likes to do that yeah so just I I would I kind of want to hear your guys opinions on this it's a bit off topic but the Ike team today I know we're we're talking about Olubiakos but Ike today seems poor guys I, I, I kind of wanted to hear your opinions they Yes, they they lost some starters, but they had Lopez, who I know is has been around for forever. There, Bakakis, the back line is players we know. The goalkeeper has been around the club a while. That midfield of um, Simoa is a is the guy Croatian or Polish? Semensky. They have two. Um, it was Simoes and Kristicic today. Was it Kristicic? Sorry. I can I confuse those guys and and then that that front four is 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 the one they had all season with Verde, Oliveira, Matalos, and and uh, Levaya. So to say their team was more, I guess what they had during the season would be fair. And I was a little surprised they 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 struggled they struggled a bit. I was looking at the the body language of of Levaya and Oliveira during during the game and they're by far I think Ajax's two most dangerous players together with Madalos probably. Um, they looked they looked bored. 
at certain moments in the game. They just didn't seem like they were in the game. Uh, I know that there's been a lot of talk about uh, Fenerbahce wanting uh, wanting Livaya. Mm -hmm. uh, there are contract negotiations ongoing for the two of those players. Um, the IAC chairman, Medisan Nidus, isn't really known to be one to really delve deep into his pocket. Um, so I sense a little bit of discontent there. And, and yeah, you really saw some sloppy passing while, while we do like to press high up the field. Some of the unforced errors today were shocking. Like the, I think El Arabi's last opportunity in the game, it came from a, a bad pass from the centre-back, literally into one of our midfielders' feet. And then, you know, El Arabi was through. Um, so, no, it was a poor performance from them today. And I think the one performance that I was a bit surprised by after watching the Greek national team was Bakakis. I mean, we all know Bakakis is not an amazing right back, but I think generally we see with Greece that he can at least not make too many mistakes. He's reasonably sound defensively and he's good enough on the ball that he's not an unreal liability out there. But today, I mean, he had a lot of really poor challenges um, and was obviously taken off relatively early in the game, which is another sign that he didn't play that well. But he really didn't look up to it today. And especially after watching him with Greece, that was a bit surprising to me. Yeah, and I know, I, I, I thought the same thing, Peter. And I know a lot of Ike fans were so disgusted that Leganes only offered 500,000 uh, euros for Bakakis. They're saying this to start on the Greek national team, blah, blah, blah. He was very poor today. He was extremely poor today. And that penalty he gave away was shocking yeah, it was, defending. Yeah, it was that awful. Was, that was terrible. And I don't know if you guys noticed that when he made that. The tackle was so poor. Masuras' shin pad just flew out. Yes, it, I it noticed that. Just, yeah. It was... Yep. God, that was... I, it just... You, I, I don't know. Anyway, he, he played poor. I'll say that. that that's what. Correction, Masuras does run at people. Bakakis <laughs> 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 only. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I mean, even even Radejevic was kind of having his way on the opposite end, too. Yeah. You know, both, neither fullback really played too well. Now, I will say this despite the plethora of, let's say, unforced errors. The thing that still bothers me is that they were still outpossessing us. I don't, the thing that bothers me with our team, and this isn't just this game where it's happened, this has been for two years we've seen this. We will get a lead, sometimes on a rival, sometimes on a, a smaller team, and we kind of just hang back. Um, it's all, it's a lot of times with this team, it's a tale of two halves, especially if we get a lead, and one nothing leads, two nothing leads for me. There, that's not comfortable. Uh, we've seen so many times teams come back from a two nothing, from two nothing down. I mean, it happened to us in Champions League group stage. Yeah, you know we have. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. That, and I think I've noticed it the most in the in the league. I mean, obviously we had the the Tottenham game, but even in the playoffs recently, uh, I remember there was an Adis game that I think finished four two, and I mean. Obviously, if you score four goals, you're probably good to go. But I am personally just 
wanting Olympiacos to be, you know, the best team in Greece by far and seeing them just sort of switch off at the end of games and give up goals to Lindsay Rose, Ferratis, like, it's yeah. kind of disappointing. And I think there was an Ike game more recently in the league. I, I wish I could remember. And we won. And I think we scored – did we score three goals in the first half? And then the second half was I, – if I remember, it was just a lot – a lot less exciting and the team had very much turned off. I think, I think it was, we scored three goals in the first half. I wish I could remember. I think the game maybe finished three, one or something like that, but the team just looked awful in the second half. Yeah. My, I think my greatest memory of this, not under Martins, but was we went to Oaka with Beznikasi. I think this was his last game. If you guys remember, we scored early with Marco Marin and Ofoy. Maybe Ofoy scored actually in the 50th minute in the second half. And then Ike came back and won 3-2. That was, I think that was one of the most upset I was after an Olympiacos game. That was just, that came to my memory, a horrific memory, Ike and blowing leads anyway. But yes, this is also, also something that makes me upset when we just go defensive after an early goal. I'm a little bit less concerned given given where we are in the season and given that we haven't had a I mean a proper preseason uh training and going back to what I said at the beginning our wing backs are so important for our build up and our possession play that you normally see like Simikas and Omar on the halfway line waiting for the ball on the byline and, mm-hmm. and playing those, you know, those one twos with the midfielders and then, you know, having the the wingers essentially as inside forwards. The fact that we didn't have those wing backs that could make those runs and give us that width today, it 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 didn't allow us to play that, you know, that sexy position football, that attacking football that we like to see Olympiacos play. Um, so I, I'm I'm less concerned about that. I think today was a professional a professional win. We did what we had to do. We went out there. We won this damn cup after it has been postponed, <laughs> cancelled two three times. I forget. Um, but but sure. I mean, you guys raised the point that we yeah we 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 go up one two nil three nil in games and we take the foot off the gas. Okay. It happens. I mean, you're two, three nil up, and you say, "Okay, I can take the foot off now, and I can just sit back and wait for the counter." This game's done. Um, it happens in inside the head of the player. The game's over, so he kind of just the, he takes the foot off the gas just that little bit. Yeah, I think those foot off the gas moments are understandable when it's. Larissa and Volos, but you know, sometimes as Olympiacos fans, we think we're just so much better than Ike Pauk, especially with how we perform sometimes in Europe. And a lot of times we want to beat our rivals by a big score, and sometimes it just seems we go kind of defensive against them or play more conservative. And I know a lot of fans get very upset about that, and sometimes it leads to these boring draws, and people are upset, you know, and they're saying look what we do in Europe, why are we playing like this in domestically, blah, blah, blah. I think it's also characteristic of Portuguese coach, though. So at yes. the end of the day, the most important thing is clean sheet. We had a lot of clean sheets last season. Our yeah. defense was so solid. Um, 
I'm I'm really proud of that. I um, I mean, d- defense is 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 where it starts. Um, so, and and I think if you look at the the tactical analysis of the games and the way the team is set up with those those two lines of defense and then the the midfielders the wingers coming in as a as a fifth defender mm-hmm. uh, i think you know this um portuguese coaches they they have defense really at the top of their their tactical training and you can you can see that and you can see that the way the team is set up in defense and the way that we transition is again kind of characteristic of this Portuguese way of play. Uh, if you remember how we played under Marco Silva, it's um, it's it's very similar style. And Jardim as well, Leonardo Jardim. You guys remember that? And we canned him, and we were undefeated in the league, and actually still doing well in Champions League. That one blew my mind uh, yeah. when that happened. I think we've also addressed kind of Portuguese coaches and similar defensive styles that we've seen. Uh, and Constantine, actually, uh, I wanted to bring up or kind of support something you discussed a little bit earlier about not having, you know, Omar and Timikas, those wingbacks that help us stretch the field and really help us get forward. In terms of interplay, we saw, of course, you know, the only interplay we really saw between, uh, we'll say, our wingers was really when Valbuena would shift either left or right. He was the one that had to get involved in that. And our 10 hasn't always had to do that because those wingbacks always come up. We had no interplay today, zero, between the wingbacks and the wingers. Whereas when I look at kind of like the, the, the webs, I ha- there's actually data on uh, courtesy of Scout, and you can see grids of interplay, who's connecting with who the most. And it's always the wingers and the wingbacks when Zimikas and Omar were here nonstop. They had the most connection with their wingers. And this time it was all Valbuena. Valbuena was the one doing it. And really Bruno, you know, Bruno and Torosidis by design were staying back more and more defensively, a lot more cautious. And that is very true. And, you know, with that context, you know, absolutely uh, that this was much more risk. Uh, you know, Martins we know is pretty risk averse. So this was a much more risk averse game plan to kind of get in there, seal the win, and, and be done with it. And it's also important that we all remember this game could have very easily been 3 nothing. El Arabi yeah. missed the PK, and then when he absolutely tooled Bakakis on the left, you know, going by him and then cutting back in, and he whiffed that shot too right in front of the goal. Yeah, I was just about to say, I think there were, in the second half, and we talked about El Arabi's wonderful chance in the first half, but in the second half, obviously it was a lot of counterattack for us. And there were definitely a lot of moments where, as the play was building up, I was, you know, obviously watching and thinking, this is really promising, and then, you know, something would go wrong. I remember, obviously, Adarabi with that sort of failed chip that we talked about, and then he blamed it on the pitch. I think Masuras was right there with him in the box, if I remember correctly, and could have gotten the ball. And then Masuras himself missing that chance, that was pretty much just him and the goalkeeper. I remember another one when Adarabi was coming down the left side, and I think Bukalakis was with him. And, you know, if it's Bukalakis coming down, I'm like, shoot, El Arabi, shoot the ball. Don't give it to Bukalakis in the box. And he gave it to Bukalakis in the box, and then I think nothing happened of it. Uh, And that shot by Lazar with Bruno coming down, as we talked about, like the only time that one of the fullbacks came down and crossed the the midfield line. You know, maybe that it wasn't a bad shot for what it's worth, and he'd obviously scored. But, you know, if you let that play continue and give it to Bruno, maybe he gets a cross in, something happens. 
So I think there were there was no shortage of chances. Obviously, Ike did dominate possession, and that's partially by design, given that we'd gone up. And at the end of the day, it's not like they were firing chances. They did get a lot of corners, but they weren't out in open play really destroying us that much as in the sense that we were as well. So, you know, I don't like to be the person who says, oh, it should have been 3 nothing." you know, we should have won all this stuff. But it certainly could have had a higher result if El Arabi was maybe having a better day or just if a couple of things had gone our way. So I think that is a good point and worth considering as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, ju oh. just to jump in and on the points you guys have made about the clean sheet idea, I, I think that's a really good point because when we play our rivals, keeping the clean sheet gives us a chance of winning. I always think there's one mistake, there's two chances that you're going to get in a derby. And if you have, and, and that killed us before we had El Arabi and we were searching for that striker, we had Hassan. There are those few moments in that hot atmosphere where you get that chance and you put it away, you keep the clean sheet, and you're through. You get the win. And I think that's really been why we've been winning those games. We've had those quality players. We've been winning more derbies recently. We went through a streak. I don't know why. I, I remember before Martins, even at the beginning of Martins' tenure, where we just struggled to win derbies, you know, because it just feel, felt like we could never get the goal. But anyway, that is just my going off track. Um, keeping the clean sheets is a good thing. And I know we're kind of spoiled to be able to whine about it at this point, but it, it, it is important. Um, pivoting to a different player. So just kind of, I'm looking at some of the fan pages on Instagram and Facebook and the Greek fans in Greece are not happy with Bukalakis. <laughs> Translated from Greek, uh, here's a couple of the comments. Why is he on the team? What is he doing? Worthless. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts? They're on kind today. They're kind today. My God, they're kind. <laughs> the never-ending story of Bukhalakis. <laughs> yeah, I, I, this is nothing new to me. <laughs> but I, 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 I kind of feel a little bit sorry for him. Well, generally, you know, you've got these these Greek players that that can play central midfield or not in defence, and and they all get they all get trampled on by, by, the, by Greek fans. I mean, if, even us, we're talking about Masuras and, and Bukhalakis. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think Bukhalakis, he gives balance to the team. He's left-footed. Um, he, he's not our best central midfielder, but he's mm -hmm. improved a hell of a lot over the yeah. last couple of yes. years. And he's, you know, he, he's, a, he's another good squad player, like Masuras. He's good to have in your squad. He's he's pretty reliable. He didn't have the best of games today. Um, he misplaced a few passes, but but okay. I mean, I yeah. You hear a lot of stick for Kalagis and and Masuras, but okay, they're good. They're good squad players. Yeah, and I. In the stadium in Kariskaki, uh, I went a few times um, these past Champions League qualifiers. The whistles he gets, the people yelling at him, and, you know, it, it must be difficult, you know. Uh, also, he's Greek, so he understands what people are saying. You know, you're, you're kafu, you have no idea what people are saying. Maybe they're saying, go ahead, you're doing great, you know. So, <laughs> so he understands what people are saying, and they're whistling him, and you can hear the whistles, and it's... 
he's improved. He's improved. And I know people don't really think about it. Our football manager playing listeners will know registration, especially for Champions League and European games are important. And these homegrown players who are Greek and have come through the youth academy are sometimes important to have. And I think he does the job, you know, he, he's a good squad player. And I, I agree with that. And giving him stick about a poor game, look at El Arabi. This was a disaster yep. class of a game. If that was a Greek striker, he, would oh, be he wouldn't on, be in the team anymore. <laughs> he would be, he, yep. I, I do not care who, who it was. If he had the Greek last name, he was on the street tonight. He was he, done, you know. He'd be heading to Poland with Yanni Masuras. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yep. So complain about Buhalakis. Well, go complain about El Arabi because he cost us almost as much this this cup final. He's our most expensive or highly paid player until MV assigns or is announced. I think it gets 1.5 million euro a year. And I'm going to say something or ask a question. Do you think we're going to buy a striker before this window ends? And I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say something wild. Edinson Cavani is still available on a free <laughs> Big banger. Bomb. The That's Greek bomb. media That's loves airport. this. I don't... Uh, do you think we'd cover his wages? Anything, Real question. Anything's possible. Our, cha- our chairman's crazy. Cavani <laughs> and Godin both coming if in. Still, if he's still available on the last day of the transfer market... I mean, okay. I'm, as I said, I'm 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 speculating. I don't know anything. It hasn't been reported, or you know, some some crazy person has probably written about it on Twitter and said, "Oh, let's go and get Cavani." But but I mean, the question is, do we get a striker? Are you worried about El Arabi's form? Because I'm not comfortable with Hassan playing as oh, no. our first striker. Neither he's, am I. I think he's a good option to have as a second striker. Yeah. But I'm a little bit worried with El Arabi's form, and I really wonder if we might start to think, is it time, could a bid come in for El Arabi? That's an interesting question. Well, what's the, what's the old Martin Tyler saying? Form is temporary, class is permanent. I think I think that I mean it's definitely a little dip in form, but I I feel I feel like El Arabi's going to come out of it. The again the the thing that's important for me and what keeps me a little bit more positive about the whole thing with El Arabi is that the ideas are still there, the movement is still there, positioning is still there. So uh, you know he was very aggressive. He was pressing on the defense today. He had the right ideas. It's just the execution wasn't there, and. I feel like we've been more fortunate, especially under Martins, than not with like player form dips and drops. Martins seems to be able to reverse those quicker than not because we've had similar form dips and drops with Guillerme at, at points. Uh, I mean, he's far, probably was our mo- one of our most consistent performers. Madi with, you know, he had a couple game dips here and there. I think in the long run, El Arabi will be okay. It was a frustrating game, but I think in the long run, it'll be okay. Uh, and just a, a quick little thing for Bukalakis, his heat map has just been uploaded for you know his uh, distance covered and where he went. He actually covered more ground than Madi today. Uh, his, he was everywhere, even though a lot of people didn't notice it, but he covered more ground than Madi. So if, 
if people are going to complain that he wasn't putting the work in, he covered way more distance. And I also want to uh, address this because uh, some people thought that the, it, there was no way it was true that Bukalakis was an accurate passer. He is our most accurate, not just general pass, short pass under 25 meters. He's our most accurate long passer. He connects almost everything. He is very technically sound. The question is, how can we get him to want to do that more? Because when he does it, he connects. When he sends through balls, they're usually right on the money. It's just how can we get him to look forward more often and be more positive? Okay, so the Bukhan Lakis news is interesting, but I want to get to the BAM striker as we are Greek football fans. We're irrational. Why Sankavani when you can get the god himself, Mitroglu, back, hopefully on a free Stop. from Marseille in the goals? He's still Stop. got something left. <laughs> oh, my God. When you can pay him a ton of money to do nothing. That's a bam right there. That is, oh. I will fly to the airport, and I will <laughs> arrive with him. Have we ever paid anybody? Cavani was making $7.5 Have we ever paid anybody $7.5 a season? Uh, I can't, even under Gokali, I don't think we paid anybody that much. There, was a, to, there was a guy... Um, called Lajos Detari. I think he was a Hungarian player that played in the 80s that my that my dad used to tell me about. And I think the chairman of Olympiakos was a guy called Koskotas at the time. Yeah. And this guy went to prison uh, later <laughs> on for, I don't know, getting bankrupt or doing some shady stuff. Um, but that was a big, big money transfer from, you know, guy from former Soviet Union. Um I could I could be wrong. I don't I don't want to offend any 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 Russians or anyone from that part of the world that might be listening. But but yeah, I that's crazy money. Seven and a half million Cavani was earning. Yeah. Well, I know that we paid. I know we've paid some players over three million. If you guys remember Diogo, <laughs> the uh, the Gokali Gokali brought him in. There was a ten million euro transfer, I believe, when we bought him, and we brought him in. Now, even when that first year when Marinaiki was to just bought the team and we, we had hired Lenin, I believe it was. Iwald Lenin was our coach with that uh, terrible performance. We ended up losing Champions League and then losing again to Maccabi Tel Aviv before we hired Ernesto Valverde. Diogo was getting paid three and a quarter million euros a year back then. Not bad. Yeah, this, so that's the highest one I can think of. This, this Cavani news just backs up my point even more. Airport, Bameo, the Romeo, let's do it. Bam, Mitroglu, let's do it. <laughs> anyway, guys, continue. That's a bit terrible idea, probably. I just want to give some credit to Linen because I think he was the guy that signed Cholebas, huh? He was and found him in uh, <laughs> second or third division Germany. He was him. 1860 Munich, 26-year-old yep. signing Jose Holebas with a Greek grandmother. And everyone was like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> I was one of those. I still remember that. Back, with the, uh, back when the old Greek soccer forums were around and everybody was freaking out. I still remember... Uh, in, in, on f seeing fan, Greek fans on Facebook flipping out, you know, Marinakis had just become the owner and they're already ripping on him for these terrible transfers that he was a wonderful surprise. <laughs>
uh, who else? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, another uh, Algerian player that we had gotten in Greece. We actually paid him a lot. Uh, no, 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 not Jabor, the other one. He was the other Algerian that was Abdun, Jamel Abdun. That was it. And he was another one that we picked up. His wages were actually really oddly high. And he led uh, the Super League for us in assists uh, two years in a row. And that was a really kind of poor level Olympiacos team. Yep. That was a really poor Olympiacos team. Was it, I think, was that the year that Jardim was the coach or it was the, the year leading up to that? But, but yeah, it was just one of those years when I think we'd won four or five in a row and, you know, we were going to win the league again. Mm-hmm. And it was just getting kind of boring. It was like, Abdun's our best player. What? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, to give perspective to the listeners, from some of these other teams in the past, how many of those players – so, again, we talked about Abdun led the Super League in assists when we won the title back then. Does Abdun make this team? Under Pedro Martins. This team? Yeah. No. Exactly. Now, uh, some other players we can think of. Albert Riera, the BAM, the first BAM that Marinaki brought in our first season and then uh, played under Ernesto Valverde after we fired Lina. Does he make this team? Maybe a squad player. Rotation. That's what I figured. Maybe a rotation player. Um, uh, Joel Campbell. Absolutely. Okay. I would take Joel Campbell, actually. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I still would as well. Um, <laughs> as, as in his form at the time. Yes, exactly. Not and, and like playing exactly. in Mexico currently. And to beat you to the gun, Arieli Bagasa can play on oh, any my. team. Absolutely. Play. Absolutely. I'm pretty sure he's on the coaching staff. He's, but, he's there. His son so, is in the youth academy as well. Taking all of that into account, right, even though obviously with respect to what happened in the Kipalo, this team, even though we've lost pieces, is one of the better teams we've had in the last decade. Not a lot of players in the last decade that we've had would make this team. You know, obviously Ibagaza, probably one of the best midfielders we've ever had. Dominguez, yeah. unquestionable. Cambiaso also solid for us, yeah. you know, Joe Campbell. But we're, we look at those guys and we see some of the best players we've had in the decade. So this team we've put together and, you know, even though maybe it was a mediocre performance, not the best, this is arguably the best team we've put together in the last decade. Yeah, and just a player that comes to my mind who is now linked with us, Kasami. Any thoughts on that? Supposedly had a great season in Switzerland. Is that someone you guys would see coming back with us? I'm okay passing. I I don't know if he fits in this team. I think I think yeah. you know he he could fit into Bukalakis' position and be that left-footed player in midfield as well. He's strong. He had a really good season in Switzerland, but but I don't know if he fits in this team and. Uh, to answer, I guess, the, the, the question that Aris is bringing forward, is this the best team in a decade? I think, I think it is. Um, I mean, Valverde's team, the, the, second, the second time he came was an excellent team, but it was that kind of team that played high press attacking football for 60, 65 minutes, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the game, they were dead. Dead. Uh, this team is 
fit, it has options, solutions, they can play possession and attack, they can defend and counter. Um, no, I think it's the best team we've seen in a decade. Is it better than the 98 team with the Greeks that got to the quarterfinal against Juve and should have got to the semis? That's I don't a know. Big, that's, that's tough. A big debate. That's a big debate. Yeah. Because the way I think about it is, you know, I think about that loss to Metalist when we gave up those goals, those two goals at the end of the second leg. I don't, I think this team beats that Metalist team without too many issues. You know, even if it was under Valverde's system with the high press, I think we have better players now. You know, Valverde was pulling together players to try and fit his system that weren't really available in the Greek league. And we had to go elsewhere to find everything. You know, we were plug and playing David Fuster all over the place just because of his work rate, you know, guys like that. But I think this team beats that Metallis team. The, the team that went to the round of 16 and beat Manchester United in the first leg just to lose three, nothing. When we go to old Trafford, this team beats that David Moyes team more well-rounded, better defensively. I agree. That team also so, didn't have a striker. Like yep. Michael Oletan was playing straight. Javier Saviola didn't he get injured? <laughs> like yeah. he left in the in January. I think he yeah. left in the January window. He had yeah. those. He had that game against Anderlecht where we had to win. Yes, to qualify and he scored two goals and he he, mm -hmm. he made his money. And then in January, I think he left. And uh, Oletan played the game in Athens. And then uh, Oletan had that horrible. Inc oh, yes. that, that incident mm. where he uh, I think he, Collapsed, he, had a, right? he had a heart incident on the pitch where we lost 3-0 to Panathinaikos after beating United 2-0 yeah, yeah so and we had no striker going to Old Trafford I can't remember who yeah. we played with yeah that so I, I mean I think that says a lot about the squad and you know we it's, it's also telling too when we think the squad doesn't have the best game but they still win they still win the keeper low they still come through yeah you know um so i think that speaks a lot and that's uh, the kind of, great team yeah exactly and kind of as we kind of as we begin to wind down um we never really discussed or agreed on our worst player but i think we hinted at it uh yeah. for el arabi for me was that but you know yeah. Uh, we already kind of discussed a little bit about how, you know, what what that means going forward. I think I still believe that we're he's going to be, you know, he'll come out of this slump. I'm happy that it happened. At, it's happening at this point. I'm hope and hopefully, maybe before our playoff, you know, our Champions League playoff, we have a couple of games in between now and when we play our Champions League playoff against the winner of Red Star and Ammonia, he has some time to get out of that. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. For sure. And this is this cup final is kind of strange, but this is the conclusion of the 2019-2020 season. And finally, we won the double. Great season. Some great players, great memories this season. And it's great that we finished it on a high. It, it, it could have been spoiled really easily. So I'll just say that as a final comment for the season. Yeah. And I agree that it, it is very weird to feel like this is the same season that we won the league because it seems like we were celebrating about winning the league so long ago. But yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about with this cup being postponed again and again, you know, people seeming to care less about it. And, you know, it obviously went from, we haven't won the double in such a long time 
and to actually finally do that is is a really nice feeling and to end things on the way they ended with Torosidis having a nice sending off where he actually gets to play in a meaningful game and it's not just pity minutes I think that was that was nice for him uh, obviously we missed out on his moment of being subbed off and getting an applause from the fans because there weren't any fans there but still good for him to to finish off on a strong note there even if obviously he's very old and didn't have the best game but it was an interesting one it I'm glad it happened. I'm glad we won. And now the focus will be on starting the Super League and starting Champions League. And we've got a lot of new players coming in. So it should be very interesting. What a great servant to the club he's been. I think yes. He, Legend. He played six years for the club um, before his transfer to Roma. And he came back at a time where we hadn't won the league and we were looking to rebuild a new squad. So it was that first season Martins came in and, you know, really he's, we'll look back at Dorosidis and he was just such a versatile player that could literally play anywhere on the park. He played the great part of his career as a right back. He ended his career as a left back. And that says everything <laughs> about his versatility. I remember games he played central midfield, I think, under yep. Valverde. Then he scored some important goals, a lot of important goals in derby games. Really, what a, what a great player, for, not just for Olympiagos, but, but for Greek football. Yeah. And even there, what really did it on this the second time back here with Martins was... Just how he, it's kind of how we hope Jolebas will treat his time back. How how he was willing to play anywhere. He played in the midfield. I remember in that first season, he came on in some of those Europa League games, I think, to play on in the midfield because we were short of players there. And there was no moaning about, I'm not playing enough. I We should rotate more. Maybe in smaller league games, I should play more. And I think that shows the character he was. And, and whenever we scored a goal, the the moment that comes to me clearly of like him as a as basically his second time here is as a teammate was when Lazar scored that goal against Krasnodar and he was the first guy on the field mm -hmm. hugging him and just lifting him up and he got a yellow card because of that because he was a substitute <laughs> and he ran onto the field you know and that just showed you the type of guy he was he was he loved the team he loved the team he was almost a fan in that moment he ran on the field he was so happy and he, exactly as you said he was a great great player for the team and a great servant to the club yeah can't do anything but agree and with that i think that about completes everything that we have to say constantine i want to thank you so much again for coming on and while you're here i also want to give you the opportunity to plug anything whether it's social media or anything you're working on that you'd like to talk about whether it's the uh, anything on twitter or other platforms uh, if you want to let people know where they can follow you now is the time Sure, no, thanks again, guys. Uh, really great to, to be here. Um, I I did ask you guys if you'd be interested in having a chat, so I have to put that out there as well. You didn't come to me, I came to you, so thanks very much. Um, I hope we, we have opportunities in the future to, to, to discuss some more, and uh, yeah, if people would like news updates, analysis, sometimes or most of the times live updates of games of Olympiacos. You can follow at 
Olympiacos EU, Olympiacos with a C on Twitter. Thanks. Thanks again, guys. And this was a lot of fun. I think we're definitely going to do this again. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I just want to say your account is really great. And I, I actually really like a lot of accounts are either Greek or English. I like that you mix Greek with English because you get both communities kind of interacting with each other and getting accounts from all all sorts of backgrounds. So it's, it's, it's nice to get perspectives from Greece and from the abroad There was community. some Spanish too. Some Spanish on there I saw like last week. Some French as well. <laughs> <laughs> it is Everywhere. EU after all. Yep, exactly. All right. Well, yeah, we, we really appreciate you for coming on. We had a blast, and I'm sure we'll be doing it again. Um, folks, thank you all for listening. We appreciate it, especially if you've made it this far. We'll be coming back to you on Wednesday with these special guests talking about Euro 2004. So we'll obviously have a whole lot of fun stuff to talk about there. Um, and, yeah, we won the double. It's done. The next season will now begin. We can finally put, close the book on the 2020 season. And despite the fact that that season is over, I was actually joking today before we went on camera that this is the first episode since we've started this podcast that there's actually been an Olympiacos game to talk about. So obviously we'll continue to push out the content as the team actually starts playing more regularly with Super League and Champions League coming up. So we'll continue to push that those episodes for you and oh yeah Constantine makes the good point that we will eventually have new kits coming out as well well maybe have to do a kit review because we've been waiting for those forever and with that being said uh, we thank you all once again for listening and we will see you soon <laughs>